Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, my name is Matt Wilstein, and this is how I say buttholes. I mean, what do you think? better than John Hamm, let's yeah. be honest. <laughs> you heard that, right? Andrea Savage says, I'm better than John Hamm. It's the last laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast. We are back for 2020, and I could not be more excited to have as my guest today the incredibly funny, incredibly talented Andrea Savage. Andrea created and stars in one of my absolute favorite TV comedies, I'm Sorry. On the show, she plays a version of herself, a comedian and mom living in Los Angeles. Much of the comedy comes out of her awkward attempts to explain the world to her young daughter and even more awkward interactions with fellow parents who don't always appreciate her sense of humor. The first two seasons are on Netflix, and they are hilarious. A few months ago, Andrea started her own podcast. It's called Andrea Savage, A Grown-Up Woman, Hashtag Buttholes. And on it, she chats with friends like Paul Rudd, Mila Kunis, and yes, John Hamm. If you are enjoying this podcast, please help us out by going on Apple Podcasts, hitting that five-star button, and leaving a glowing review. You can also go to ratethispodcast.com slash laugh to rate this podcast wherever you listen. I want to quickly shout out a listener who posted a review under the name Buckets Jr. Jr. and suggested Wanda Sykes, Dana Gould, John Mulaney, and Brian Regan, all comics I would love to have on the podcast. Dana Gould was actually the very first comedian I interviewed when I started writing about comedy eight years ago. Let me know who you want to hear on this show in 2020. But now, let's hear my conversation with Andrea Savage. I have a blanket. And I'm someone who runs hot. I'm never cold. I have a blanket that I'm wrapped in. Yeah. We have to have, like, warm boots. We, like, fight over room blankets. It's insane. Is it all? Is it always like that, or is it because it's cold outside? Um, no, it's always freezing. Yeah. And now it's cold outside, and the building just refuses like it's just this is the temperature of the entire four-story huge building yeah and they're like put on a coat yeah that's their response <laughs> it's yeah not great. it's a it's not great but no. it is it's generally been freezing in la recently and uh freezing, freezing for for la i mean let's not get crazy <laughs> i feel like two weeks ago it was like 90 i grew up in boston days. so it's I, I really shouldn't be saying that i but, grew up in la yeah so so, so I should. Really so we be should be bitching. reversed. Yeah. yeah, we should really be reversed. <laughs> but I've just become a total, you know, uh, softy. Pussy. Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah, I was. <laughs> you could say that. Um, well, thanks for coming in. Thanks um, for having where, me. Where do you you have a podcast that you've been doing recently? So where do you record at your house? You I record, record at my house. Yeah. yeah. I just started. Um, it came out in October, so just yeah. uh, a little bit ago. Um, yeah, it's called Andrea Savage, a grown up woman. Hashtag buttholes. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about the the title. How yeah. did you How did you land on that uh, on that title for the podcast? Um, I the whole point of my podcast is sort of just like an hour of pure sort of entertainment and laughing with friends mm. of mine and you know I, I have I have a TV show uh, I'm sorry yeah. that I do and you know a lot of it I get a lot of responses of people being like you know I watch your show and it makes me not scared to grow up it looks like you can still have fun mm, it yeah. looks like you can be a grown up and still be dirty and weird and funny and you know sexual and this that and the other and I really took that to heart and I really appreciate that and I was just like I was scared to grow up a lot of people are, but you don't have to change. And I have a lot of friends who are like me. Mm -hmm. And everyone I feel like who listen, who watches my show and that kind of thing, I feel like are still cool, normal people. So the whole point of the podcast was to sort of show that you're a grown up, but you don't have to take yourself so seriously. So I thought to me, butthole is just one of my favorite words. Yeah, <laughs> And you can't act super serious and say the word butthole. It's 
literally impossible. And you and you have every guest say it at the, at the beginning. So oh, can correct. you explain sort of how that works and, and maybe we can do it as a as a little exercise? Yeah, here? I would love to hear you do this. <laughs> um, but yeah, every guest, it's a requirement. You're not allowed to say no, um, has to say, hi, my name is blank. Uh, and this is how I say buttholes. Okay, so I'm going to try it. Yeah. Hi, my name is Matt Wilstein, and this is how I say buttholes. I mean, what do you think? better than John Hamm, let's yeah. be honest. <laughs> I didn't, I only practiced a very little bit. <laughs> it's not, by the way, there's no right or wrong. That's the yeah. great news with buttholes. Um, I just listened to the June Squibb episode, uh, which was delightful. And her her rendition of, of buttholes is fantastic. Adorable. Yeah. She so, was uh, very upbeat. Everyone should listen just for that, I know. if nothing else. I know. Well, for other reasons too. It's delightful. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Meant, no, meant... it is very fun. And <laughs> it really is funny because it does loosen people up immediately. Mm-hmm. You cannot, you just can't take yourself too seriously mm-hmm. and say the word butthole. It yeah. is a magic word. <laughs> Uh, you mentioned the John Hamm uh, episode, uh-huh. which was a standout as well, I would Oof. say. Yeah, I'm still um, recovering from yeah, that one. So for anyone who hasn't heard it yet, uh, he reads aloud from your teenage diary in the episode. Yeah. How did that uh, happen? That happened, you hear it in the podcast, I had just recently moved, and I'd found some boxes, and I'd found my old journals, and I referenced it in the podcast for some reason, and we record in my office, mm. in my house, and so I... my journal was right there and I think I was saying something about having sex for the first time or something because I was like oh I just read a journal entry about from the day after I had sex for the first time Mm -hmm. and he was like oh my god and then I picked up the journal and I was like yeah it's so (laughs) crazy I just found these journals he's like is that it and I was like yeah and he's like can I read it out loud and it was one of those where I was like oh fuck (laughs) this is gonna be so embarrassing but also I'm a comedian and you know it's like well it it is could be really funny. And it was the most mortifying thing I've ever put myself through. <laughs> but then when I was editing it, um, I was alone and I slid under my kitchen table listening to it just in <laughs> horror. But I was also laughing really hard. And I was like, well, obviously I have to keep this in. This yeah. is crazy. Well, <laughs> I'm not a virgin anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad it's over. Boy. It hurt like motherfucking hell. P.S. <laughs> already working blue. <laughs> Classic savage. Wait, can I just be honest? I don't know if I'm going to be able to look at you again. Oh How much bright red god. am I right now? You're not. Oh fuck! This. Is oh rough. my god! I couldn't stand it! Exclamation point. I mean, you don't seem like someone who would get embarrassed easily. Are I you? do not get embarrassed. It honestly, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. So the fact that it happened on such an epic horrible embarrassment <laughs> was pretty great too yeah um so in general why why did you want to start a podcast and what have you kind of gotten out of it so far um <laughs> uh i wanted to start a podcast um somewhat selfishly because for the past three and a half years i've sort of just been under a rock doing my show mm-hmm. um and i've lost contact with a lot of friends and I haven't been able to perform live or really do any other projects other than my own show. Mm-hmm. And I missed seeing people. I missed a little bit of a looser format of when you're on stage, you do an improv show, you do a something show. Wasn't able to sort of do that. And I did a lot of podcasts. And Chris Hardwick, who's a good friend of mine, and some other people were like, you're such a good guest on podcasts. Not to brag. <laughs> but Matt, you're gonna be pretty happy yeah, with this. No. yeah i think so um and you should do it and i was like i've kind of wanted to but it seems like a lot of work and they were like no no no, no. you just sit and talk well it's been so much work and <laughs> yeah. i'm like oh god fuck you guys because this is gonna put me in my grave putting this on top of the show but um i just wanted also something it takes me a long time between seasons because it takes me a long time to do my show for 10 mm-hmm. episodes uh, something to kind of bridge the gap where I could still connect with my fans and still, you know, have a relationship in between and just see people, you know, yeah. that I that I like. So, I mean, I definitely want to talk about I'm Sorry because it's um, just a show that I absolutely love. Oh, um, and I, I have to admit that I came to it a little bit late um, the, because most people I and I like. think it's this Netflix thing, yeah. which yeah. I I didn't watch it on True TV. Yeah. Sorry, True TV. I, it's. But once it hit Netflix, my wife and I binged the entire first season very quickly. And then Aww. as soon as the second season was on, we, we watched that. 
um, and just loved it so much um, and can't wait for the third season. Thank you. Which I know will will come out at some point on True TV and then we'll have to either, you know, suck it up and watch that or or wait for Netflix again. But Well, I don't think it will be Netflix again. Oh, really? Because now AT&T bought Warner, which became Warner Media and blah, blah, blah. So it's going to it's going to go in the HBO Max Mm, world. So maybe it'll be like big HBO Max time. Yeah. So. Yeah, um, mm. but it but was that a kind of game changer? Did you notice that when it oh. when it hit Netflix? Uh, yeah, night and day. I mean, we had like great diehard fans from the beginning, and mm-hmm. it was very well received. But it was True TV, and you know, everyone's like, "Do I get True TV?" Yeah. And I'm like, "I promise you, you do." It's the most basic of basic cables. But I didn't even know what True TV was yeah. before. And then suddenly went on Netflix, and then it just exploded overnight. Yeah. And a lot of people don't have cable anymore. Yeah, I have four brothers, and three of them don't have cable. Yeah, so you know it is just the way that it is, and um, I think word of mouth really spread, and um, it just kind of exploded on Netflix, and it was great. It was you know really great. We got sort of the benefit of both ways a show could get released because mm-hmm. we get the like weekly everyone waits for it and then they focus on it and then Mm -hmm. they can talk about it and think about it and it's not just all gone where you've spent 14 months of your life and within you know two and a half hours whatever it at five hours it's all been binged yeah so we get that and then that stays for a little bit and then we get another sort of boost when it comes out on netflix and then it kind of explodes again so it's we kind of get the best of both worlds because they both have positives and negatives, mm-hmm. um, you know. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, I I just love the show so much, and I the the one episode that I really wanted to make sure to ask you about is the second episode of the first season, the racist daughter episode, yes. which yes. is probably my favorite. I'm setting up a play date for you and Elsie. Mm, I met them; they're cool. We're gonna do it this weekend, okay? No. Why don't you want to have a play date with Elsie? I don't like the color of her skin. Really? That's strange because I think her skin is very beautiful. Yeah. I know, it's so dark. Listen, honey, everybody has different color skin. Look, I have different color skin than you do, but everyone on the inside is the same. Underneath, we have bones and brains and muscles. It's all, it's all exactly the same. Well, her skin looks like chocolate. And you love chocolate. Um. Not dark chocolate. Right. Anyway. See this color skin? This is the color skin I like. And because uh, my wife and I often will now do the, this is the, this is the skin color that I like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. With the arm motion. Yeah. Uh, So how did that? Um, come to be and was that was that based because I know a lot of it's based on you know real stories either from you or people in the writer's room so was yeah that that is a very real story yeah Um, that one really a lot of lines from real life including that one my daughter was um, four I think and uh, there was a girl from Ethiopia in her um, preschool class who wanted to have a play date and she had a very visceral reaction to it and we got in a conversation. She said, I don't like the color of her skin. <laughs> and as two liberal Jews, hearing that come out of your child was horrifying mm-hmm. and full panic. And, you know, then we talked to people and it turned out like it's a very common thing. And I talked to friends of mine who are African-American who were like, I have the same conversation with my kids about white skin. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like Caucasian, mm-hmm. like this and that. And I just went into hyper mode. But she did... When we got in a conversation in depth, when I tried to sell her on, you know, I think it looks beautiful. I think her skin is actually gorgeous. She was like, I don't. Like, she really (laughs) dug her heels in. She pulled her arm out on the under, like, lighter even (laughs) part of her arm and just went, Mommy, see this color skin? This is the color skin I like. (laughs) And it was probably the worst moment of being a parent I've ever had. Yeah. Um, but then you, actually in our case, we found out because, you know, immediately we were like, we got to bring in books and TV show mm-hmm. and music and all this yeah. stuff. And we talked to our teachers and this and that. In our in our situation, the girl that was in our class was on the spectrum and she had a full-time shadow. Mm-hmm. And it turned out like she had a 
lot of problems controlling her body. And so she would hit a lot mm. and she would yell a lot and jump in the face. So my daughter was scared of her. Yeah, it was more maybe and an association. And then connected yeah. that, which was not great. No. Um, but she's fine now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everything's fine. But it was... It was rough. So when these stuff. so when these things happen that are mm-hmm. you know difficult, how how quickly does it move from this is really hard to I see how this is going to be really funny? <laughs> um, well, season one, you know, I think of it like people always say, like if a band is creating its album, the first album, you know, took them twenty years mm-hmm. to write, mm-hmm. and then immediately people are like, now do it again. Yeah, that's how I feel a little bit like for season one. I came in. All my, I mean, we broke the season within four days. Mm-hmm. I came in with all the good stories that I told at a party, you know, basically yeah. my after a couple years of parenting and other family stuff and relationships and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that really came from a lot of real life. So the first season, um, it was stuff that had sort of built up. Second season was in between that first season, the next season, every single thing that happened to me, I wrote down. Mm-hmm. Every single moment, every single weird. So you're much thing. more thinking about yes, what's going to be 100%. on the show. Yeah, and then season two was really, um, I would say, more like sixty five, thirty five. My stories, my writers' room stories, mm-hmm. um, and I would say in season three, it's probably fifty fifty, maybe. Yeah. So really relying on so you're other slowly people. running out of your own stories. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how many? <laughs> unless you're a fucking crazy person, how many good grounded stories about something real that? Yeah, I'm not a you know I'm not out there in the world being a maniac, and I've also been under a rock for three years, mm-hmm. like not even living my life because yeah. I've been working. So yeah. that's a it's, it's a good reason to force yourself to live your life to right? have experiences that you can put on. So the then show. you can put on the show. I know. So um, but it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it it's adjusted, but now I'm very aware of it. Mm-hmm. I love how much of the the humor in the show comes from. You as a comedy person, sort of mm-hmm. in quotes, compared yep. to other people in your life, the other parents at the school, yeah. even your husband. Yes. I guess to go back a little bit, when do you feel like you kind of became a comedy person and how has that affected your your relationships with non-comedy people? Well, I think I became, I mean, a quote unquote comedy person, um, I mean, a long time ago, probably really focused in on it when I started in the Groundlings. Mm-hmm. Um and that was in my mid twenties, I think, is when I started there. Maybe mid late twenties, yeah, no, mid twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I really focused more into comedy. Um, and I didn't interact a lot with people who weren't in comedy, other than family or this and that. But you know, between Groundlings and stand up, your whole world kind of becomes comedy people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I married someone who's not a comedy person, yeah. who's like a normal person. <laughs> and then I started being around a lot more people who weren't in comedy. And then I had a child and naturally, you know, preschool and mommy and me's and then normal school, you are in contact with people that you have nothing more in common with than you all fucked without protection around the same time. <laughs> and that's not necessarily a ton to start a relationship with. Yeah. Um, and that's when it really started to become more apparent. But we, I mean, I mine it definitely for more comedic effect on the show. Yeah. In real life, I I know when, to when do, it's appropriate. When to do bits when and when not, not to. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think the casting is very smart of uh, Tom Everett Scott as your husband too because he's not a comedy person. Mm-mm. He's a great actor, but he's not. Yeah. So he really, you, we, we buy him as, as a as an outsider to that world. Yeah, and that was a really purposeful choice. I mean, a lot of the people on the show, especially for season, um, were people I knew and friends of mine. And, you know, Judy Greer and Jason Mansukis and um, Martin Mall. I'd worked with a little on Veep and, um, you know, uh, Allison Tolman and, I don't know, mm-hmm. all the people, you know, Paul Shear and Nick Kroll and yeah. all the people, just friends of mine. But Tom, I didn't know, but I wanted somebody who wasn't from the comedy world Mm -hmm. because someone who's comedic, even if they're playing the straight person, can't help but play it. And he is very has a good sense of humor and he's good at it, but he's uncomfortable with it slightly, Mm -hmm. which works perfectly with him needing to be slightly uncomfortable with it. Yeah. um, Is is there this is kind of like I always feel dumb asking this question because it's like the most obvious question about how much improv is in something. 
but because it to me when I'm watching it, just to preface it, I feel like I it's so natural, especially your your scenes with him, mm-hmm. that I'm like it it just doesn't feel scripted. Um, well, thank you because it is fully scripted. Yeah, um, we, I had a feeling you're going to say that. Yeah, and I was going to look were, silly. I know. No, no, people <laughs> ask it all the time, and it is a compliment to me because yeah. I have a big improv background and yeah. I've done shows that have been completely improvised and movies. And but I find that I enjoy the feeling it gives, but I feel like it wastes a lot of time mm-hmm. on set. Yeah, and I also feel like a lot of times you don't really get what you need to get. Mm-hmm. So it's all fully scripted. But I always do an improv run for mm-hmm. every scene. Yeah. Um, and then I'll sort of loosen up dialogue here and there. Sometimes the improv run is truly not even coming up with jokes, but just say it more in your own words. Right. And loosen it up at a, um, and a I don't know, yeah. or and this that, and that. That's what makes it feel more natural and it makes more it real. feel more natural. And I would say little bits at the ends of scenes often are little improvs. Um, it depends on who's in the scene with me. If it's mm. Jason Mansukas and I, there's going to be a lot more improv right. that makes it into that scene. Yeah. Um, Tom and I, especially in the beginning of season one, not very much, but he's gotten a lot more comfortable with improv mm-hmm. now, especially like he and I in bedroom scenes and one-on-one scenes. Um, and so now there is a little bit more improv, but it's it's fully scripted. Yeah. What do Andrea's real-life mom and husband think about how they're portrayed on I'm Sorry? That's coming up next on The Last Laugh. I think with with this show and a lot of other comedies, sort of modern comedies, there's this fine line between uh, cringeworthiness and mm-hmm. comedy, yeah. which I think the show gets very well, Thank where you. it's, um, you definitely, there's moments of feeling like mm-hmm. uncomfortable for the characters, yeah. but not to the point where you're like, want to stop watching. Yes. Um, is that something that you think a lot about and, and sort of how do you find that, that balance in the character? Um, I think it's something I think that's funny if the situation calls for it you know I don't build it in just to have the moment but like one of my favorite moments is in season one where I have a play date with um another couple and then suddenly the wife of that couple can't be there and my husband can't be there and now we're on an act we're just a, a man and a woman alone and it's a swim play date and I have to wear a bathing suit and then our kids make us do this butt bumper thing and our butts have to touch um and i think comedically like slowing everything down and really playing those moments for the uncomfortability mm-hmm. of it is is really funny to me um you know we do try to we don't um we don't really ever shit on anybody like even mm-hmm. though the show has an edge it's all very good natured everything like we don't ever take people down and we're not ever like being dicks to someone or kind of being a monster which I think that's why the cringe moments aren't like oh I can't Mm -hmm. do that because it's not like me being shitty to someone or saying something that's like oh that's gonna really hurt them or right it's more that you you're it's anything that you do is kind of inadvertent in some ways yeah, that, that might be and it's uncomfortable but it's not mean which is mm-hmm. why I think it it differentiates between necessarily some other or it's not like sad or dark mm-hmm. which I think makes some other which shows that I love actually but um we made a conscious choice on this show to not to not be dark and mean yeah and, and not have the kind of and it so it's, it's kind of and also compared to other old sitcoms you also don't have the kind of like sweet sentimental no uh, stuff that even even something like everybody loves Raymond would oh, have yeah. we you know because I believe the heart is in the banter of giving my husband shit and fucking with my mom and mm-hmm. Mansuki you know what I mean I think that's the way I show affection in my life and so um even with my kid we you know joke around and I don't in my life there's never like a moment where it's like you know what I really appreciated you being there. I love you. <laughs> like, I'm just like, no, that's yeah. not a thing. You should feel it in all the other moments. Yeah. The most heart that I think have been in either season was also in season one, where there's an episode where Andrea and Mike are, you know, sort of adjusting their relationship a little bit and talking about their love languages. And they go to therapy. And the therapist, unbeknownst to Andrea, tells Mike that, she may appreciate an alpha male and a lot of women have rape fantasies Mm. and Mike who is like the sweetest guy 
uh, tries to rape Andrea out of love. <laughs> yeah. Of trying to give her something that she wants and mm. totally uncomfortable with it. Yeah. And that's the most heart and the, the only time I say I love you yeah. really to him uh, in the entire show is mm. right after he tries to rape me <laughs> to be a good husband. Um, what are the what are the people in your life, um, your your husband mm-hmm. and your your mother and people? Yeah. What do they think of the the way that they're portrayed on the show? My <laughs> mother loves it. She's lost all capacity. I feel like to differentiate between herself and <laughs> um, the character. Yeah, uh, and she will after a episode where her character is heavily featured be like, I had a big role last night. <laughs> like, mom, that is not you. It's not actually you. That's not actually you. Um, she loves it. Um, she's on my podcast. She's a couple episodes of mm. my podcast on uh, in some of the ends, which are very funny because one of the storylines from season two was based on an incident that happened with her and Mike Shinoda, who's from Lincoln Park. Um, she accidentally exposed her nipple to him at the beach. <laughs> And um, what, so we talk about that. So my mom loves it, although she does if, you know, it's not all really based on her. And so when there's things that aren't based on her that she doesn't care for, she's like, well, now everyone thinks that my family had Nazis in them. <laughs> yeah. And I don't. And I'm like, mom, this isn't you. Yeah. Um, My husband, uh, he really uh, he really likes it, although he's like, I am funny. I'm like, no, I know. That means like <laughs> uh, echoing it, basically. Um, my dad uh, was a little (laughs) here and there with it. I feel like because, again, we're not mean and I'm not shitting on anybody. Mm. Everyone's kind of been okay with it, you know? And I always ask permission. Like, Mm. I don't, I'm not going out to fuck with people. So, you know, I would, I asked my husband, is this okay to do with my, you know what I mean? Like, I, um, try to be Mm. polite about it, you know? Yeah, so I'm not trying to screw anyone over. So I know you're in the writers room now for yeah. season 3. So mm-hmm. how's how's that been going? It's good. Um, you know, it's hard. It's 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 hard. We are starting the 8 out of 8 out of 10. So mm-hmm. we're, I see the light at the end of the tunnel a little yeah. bit. Um, I'm excited. I think we've got some really funny episodes that are new territory, which is what I was worried about going into season 3 is, you know, have we covered everything, you know, because we tackle sort of big issues you know we tackle you know your parents aging and mm-hmm. we tackle um death we tackle parenting we tackle marriage we tackle friends who are getting divorced friends who've never been married we tackle trying to make new school friends we tackle losing touch with old friends we ta- you know mm-hmm. so there's and i like everything to be based on something real or it gets broad and wacky yeah and real relationships that you care about underneath all the humor so um but i think we've got we've got some funny stuff yeah are there any sort of just even broader issues or things that you can tease that that are coming up that um (laughs) i can't i mean not real it's just you don't want to give anything yeah my daughter's a little older so there's some older stuff there um we meet Mike's family, oh, okay, which is a which is a new um, a new thing that we'll see this season in a couple episodes. So that's have gonna you be ca- exciting. Have you cast them already? Have not cast them yet, so that's going to be really fun. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. The actress who plays your daughter is fantastic as Olive well. Olive Petrucci, she's fantastic. Um, God, I'm worried about how old she's going to look by mm-hmm. the time we shoot this because yeah. it will have been almost two years since oh, the last wow. time we yeah. shot. Um, but she's fantastic. We, I mean, we got so lucky, and she's just a dream. And her family's really nice, and we got very lucky. Yeah. What was that process like of auditioning kids? Five year olds. Um, it was weird, and also the scene that we auditioned with was the opening scene of the pilot, where she's asking about um, do babies come out of how do babies come out of your vagina? Mm-hmm. And I talk about the hole getting really, really big. So it was also a little bit of an audition for the parents of who's comfortable with the material because, again, it's not salacious and we never write anything to be, like, dirty or edgy with a kid. It's all based on real conversations that I've had with my child or someone Mm. in my room has. So it was weird and I was like, oh, God, what am I I doing to all these kids? Like, just a line (laughs) of kids learning about holes getting bigger and snapping (laughs) into place and – but when they're five, you know, it's – you're really having to go off of their family Mm -hmm. and then also 
how they listen to direction and just are they naturally, you know, believable? Because kids, it's hard to find a good kid. Yeah. Mommy? Yeah, I love you. I forget. Did you say babies come out of your pussy or your vagina? Vagina. Why? Well, my vagina was so small. Yeah. How could a baby even come out of there? Well, that is a very good question. Something that you do not need to worry about for super, super, super long time. But your body, it's magical. And when there is a baby in there and it's all grown and ready to come out, your body knows to make your vagina hole get really, really, really big. And then the baby can just shoot out. Isn't that cool? So you have a huge vagina? No, no, oh, no, 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 it snaps back into place. I mean, it snaps back into place for me. There's no complaint from this guy. <laughs> kind of like a court. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Being put back in a bottle. <laughs> Almost too small. Was it pretty clear when you saw yeah. uh, Olive that yeah. it was going to be her? Uh, yeah, it what, was. What was it about her? She just had a naturalness to it where it didn't sound rehearsed but she did know her lines mm. and her family seemed really good. And her mom, I remember just being like, you know what? At first when I read it, I was like, Oh God. But then she was like, you know what? It's all real. And you know, I'm, that's the way it is. And that's the way I would explain it to her. Mm. So yeah. And she was just so cute in her little yeah. voice. She's and, a very adorable. Yeah. She's really, <laughs> yeah, I know. I miss her cause I haven't seen her in a while. It was yeah. just her birthday a couple of days oh. ago. Um, so I want to go back a little bit to sort of the, the early days. Um, you know, we, you mentioned the Groundlings, yeah. um, which is just sort of a, a fascinating place. And, mm-hmm. and so many people have come out of it. So what yeah. was your what was your experience like there? Who were you who were you there with? And, and what did you what did you get out of it that maybe you still use or think about now? Um, a lot. It's an interesting place. It's, um, you know, you talk to people and depending on their experience there, you get a lot of mixed mm. reviews. Um, overall, I learned so much there. I learned how to do improv. I learned how to write. It's the first time I ever thought about writing for myself or writing in general, um, in the program there. It's very competitive. It's sort of like a cult Mm. when you're in the school. Um, it's all you do and in your life. And I was in the Sunday company. So you go through the school and then you get voted in. And their process is there's the main company of actors and then there's a Sunday company of actors. And the main company votes on the Sunday company. So you have actors voting on other actors of Mm. who's going to move up. Yeah. Which leads to a lot of problems. Yeah, Um, interpersonal uh, issues. A lot of politics, a lot of jealousy, a lot of people not wanting competition Mm -hmm. in the thing. Um, I was in, in my class, it was, um, I mean, if people, people would know, Melissa McCarthy and Ben Falcone, Mm -hmm. Steve Little, uh, Kristen Wiig was right under me, or, and Caitlin Olson and Dax Shepard, and, uh, so that was my crew. Jim Rash was my Sunday Company director. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris Parnell is how I even found out about the Groundlings. Um, what was the connection there? He, I, we were in an acting class together, and I did some comedic scenes, and we just got to know each other. He's like, you're really funny. You should audition for the Groundlings. I had no idea what the Groundlings was, which was very embarrassing, seeing as I grew up in L.A. <laughs> and I went and I saw a show, and Jennifer Coolidge was still performing mm-hmm. back then. And I, she was fucking amazing and just blew me out of the water. And I was like, oh, my God, I want to do this. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it was great. It was a great place. When you're in the Sunday company, you have to write a new show every week. And so you put your sketches up on a Wednesday. It get They get picked by the end of the week. And then you do the show on Sunday. And then Wednesday, you need all new sketches again. So it really taught you like boot camp comedy writing. Like you... You don't fucking feel inspired? Suck it up. You got to come up with sketches. Oh, that one didn't work? Get over it. Come up with another sketch. You can't rest on that one worked. That one worked. It was just keep going. Yeah. Um, ultimately, uh, you're in the Sunday company six months at a time, and then there's a vote, and six months at a time, and then there's a vote. And I was cut from the Sunday company and did not make it into the main company, um, which was very hard yeah very hard on the ego very frustrating um and i didn't think merited you know either mm-hmm. um and it was at a time where women were having a really rough time there and there yeah. were about four votes in a row where women were cut and mm-hmm. no women were moved up and especially if you were you know not a quirky if you were somewhat of a cute girl you were going to have a rough rough go right and i was cut caitlin olsen was cut a bunch of us were kind of cut Mm -hmm. in a row um and then it i think pulled itself together a little bit um and it hurt it sucked it was like being thrown out of a cult that you don't want to be thrown out of (laughs) because suddenly you're like it's where you've been for like four or five years every day and then suddenly you're just ousted out into the world but i think it was the best thing that ever happened to me um, because I worked less professionally in the Groundlings than any other time in my career because I actually worked quite a bit before that. Yeah. And then afterwards, I immediately started working as series regulars on television shows. So what was kind of the first thing after Groundlings that you that you um, got into? I got a show that was for NBC that ended up on Bravo for two seasons called Significant Others. Mm-hmm. And then right after that, I got Dog Bites Man and then Step Brothers. And, you know, yeah, and then it just kind of just rolls. It kind of rolled from there, and that's and on Dog Bites Man on Comedy Central, I was a writer producer as well, and that's when I started writing, mm. and then I started selling shows, and that's when sort of the merging of those two things happened. Yeah, that um, show was kind of was that was there a lot of uh, improv on that show? Because that, was that kind show of like, was fully was improvised. Imp- it's kind of uh, interacting with the real world, right? Yeah, that show what was, was that like. <laughs> It was fucking crazy. It's funny. I just saw Matt Walsh uh, two nights ago. Uh, so it's Zach Galifianakis, Matt Walsh, 80 Miles, mm-hmm. and myself. Yeah. And the guy who created it, Dan Mazur, uh, works with Sasha Baron Cohen a bunch. And he right, right. created Borat with him and, you know, all those things. So it was in the style of Borat, but before Borat came out. So it was right before Borat came mm-hmm. out. They'd already shot it. Um, and so people didn't quite understand what was happening, yeah. that we weren't real and we were playing fictitious characters of this fictitious news team but the rest of the people were real Mm -hmm. it was very tricky to do um all of us have some post-traumatic stress disorder from that (laughs) none of us enjoyed tricking people the process of how all that stuff is done is really sketchy and not great i did not care for that we all wanted to just do scenes together because we were like there's four really funny people here can't we just do more of that yeah why are you forcing us to go out and like Trick Fuck with people. innocent people. Yeah. yeah. Um, so all of us sort of had, you know, not great reactions to that. But I have some of the craziest memories. You know, we were just on, we were traveling the country, mm-hmm. shooting in weird places in Tennessee. You know, you have to like go in the middle of nowhere to get any of this stuff. Um, and it was crazy. Yeah. It was crazy. Is there yeah. something, is there one that stands out now when you think about it? As, as well, the there's craziest? just things I did where I just go like, what the fuck did I do? There was a Republican convention that we went to mm-hmm. somewhere I don't remember in the South. And my character needed to get really drunk and go in the middle of this dance floor in the middle of a convention <laughs> and just dance and grab a man from the crowd like an old man and <laughs> dance with him and I and they nobody knows that I'm not a real person yeah. they just think I'm a drunk lady yeah and then I had to throw up <laughs> so I had to have you had to hold something I had in to your have mouth. stuff in my mouth the whole time and then throw <laughs> up in front of people and and people were horrified and it was just like who was that woman yeah who had the balls to like even go do that is just so crazy. And was it, was yeah. it fun or was it Parts scary of it were or? fun. Parts of it were terrifying. Parts of it were awful. Parts of it were amazing. It was the craziest job any of us have ever had, yeah. for sure. 
There's one episode that never aired that's like the mysterious unaired Ooh. episode where we had spent the day with the KKK, oh which God. was the scariest day of my life. Um, Why didn't it air? Uh, I think there were just a lot of legal issues yeah. or something. Uh, and there was a lot of fighting, I think, between Comedy Central and the show mm -hmm. and this and that. So they I thought really it maybe went too far. I don't really know. I've never really mm -hmm. gotten the full story. Um, that must kind of suck to go through that scary experience and then have it just never see the light of day. Are you happy that it doesn't, of, doesn't never saw the light of like, day? Well, by the way, we just bailed too because yeah. we were told there would be security and that it would be this and that. And we got there and it was in the middle of the woods and it was sketchy and people had guns. It mm -hmm. was crazy. And all of us sort of looked at each other independently and quietly and just like, I'm not doing that bit that we were supposed to do. Yeah. Not happening. So we kind of all just ditched our bits. We had to interview the Grand Wizard, which we still did, but we just powered through it and didn't do any of our jokes. And we just got out of there. But we were there for hours. It was awful. The only good news of it was that it was so ill-attended. There mm -hmm. were not a lot of people there, which yeah. made me feel good. Yeah, that it like was, this is the not clan is not really popular in that area. Yeah. yeah, it was not a robust meeting. It was like, <laughs> if this is all it's attracting, I think we're okay. Mm -hmm. Of course, now maybe that's different. <laughs> Up next, what Andrea learned from working on Step Brothers, Veep, Curb Your Enthusiasm, and more. Yeah, so what I what I want to do now, I mean, that was sort of a good place to start is yeah. uh, go through some of these other credits that you've that you've had over the years okay. and, and oh God. Yeah. Uh, see if there's a story or, or something yeah. that, that jumps out. Um, so before Dog Bites Man, your, uh -huh. your first, um, you know, major role, as everybody uh -huh. knows, was playing a Brazilian exchange student in Sweet Valley High. Obviously, yes. Renata Vargas. Um, thank you so for acknowledging that was a, that was that work. was an early, early work. That was um, my first real job. Yeah. yeah. Um, what do you remember about I was about that? so excited. It was on Sweet Valley High, and I'd read all the books growing up, and I was like, this is a dream come true, although my character wasn't in the books. I was <laughs> Renata Vargas, the Brazilian exchange student, and I was best friend slash rival to one of the twins, and um, it was the most un-PC character you could ever <laughs> imagine playing because I was Brazilian, but they didn't do any research about what that means. Yeah. And they would just throw every, <clears throat> excuse me, every um, stereotype of Amazon jungle to writing burrows to eating burritos to voodoo to everything into this one character. I would legitimately had fruit on my heads at a certain point. I wore ruffles. My accent was not remotely approach like what it should be and before I started I was like hey do you want me to actually do like a real accent they were like no so yeah, it's I mean, whatever it's literally yeah. just a fake somewhat <laughs> offensive um accent and but I had so much fun and yeah. it was a great um learning experience in terms of like learning what it's like to be on a set learning mm -hmm. what it's like to hit a mark learning what it's like to know all of that um and I did you know like 22 episodes or whatever yeah. and um it was delightful. I really actually enjoyed it. It was fun. <laughs> um, so you also mentioned Step Brothers, uh -huh. which was sort of your, your first big movie, would you say? Yes, for sure. Yeah. Um, which is a sort of legendary film, and, and mm -hmm. it just it had well, it just had a big anniversary, I think. 20. 20 years. Yeah. Um, wait, and is that right? That can't be right. That can't be right. Wait, wait, wait. It must have been. It came out in, I shot it. I know the premiere was in 2008, so it came out in 2008. Yeah, so I think maybe it just had a 10-year premiere. 10, that yeah, 20. Yeah. I was like, wait a minute, how old am I? <laughs> yeah, no, we just um, had the 10. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> and hilarious. I think that, it, I mean, it's just such a good movie, and it also it has that that improv thing, kind of like we were talking yeah. about, about the scripted and then going yes. off the rails. So. What and with with Adam McKay directing? Oh, and I love um, Adam McKay. What do you what stands out from that experience, and especially from his sort of style of of working? I I mean honestly, that movie is as much fun as you think it would be on set. I mean, the amount of stuff you'd never get to see that's on the cutting room mm -hmm. floor. Yeah, that just because it doesn't move the story or it's <laughs> yeah. just whatever. I can't even tell you how hard you would laugh. Um, it's great. He just yells out stuff like "Say this, push it further." Um, and I would say almost all of my stuff with Will was improvised. Hello, Brennan. Denise. Hi. Hey. Robert, Mom, Derek. This is my girlfriend, Denise. Oh, hi. How are you? Uh, actually, I'm his therapist. We are in absolutely no way dating. Right. Um, Brennan told me he was going to hurl his body off a helicopter into shark-infested water, so 
I had a legal obligation to be here. I get it. <laughs> Don't want to appear too eager, and that is a good strategy, uh, like too. <laughs> you are an enabler. You think you're helping, and but you're not. you are a keeper. What'd you think? <sighs> Brennan, I thought you were incredibly brave. And I mean that in strictly the most clinical and professional sense possible with no emotional, intimate, sexual, or any other undertones that you could possibly infer. God, you're going to make me cry. What poem is that from? Is that James Joyce? I mean, there were a couple lines here and there, um, but... So much of it was improvised. Yeah. And he was Will Groundlings was, too, right? Yeah, but you, he was you way ahead of me. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know him. Um, but it's funny because he'll talk about, you know, he went on from there to SNL, which is like notoriously mm-hmm. crazy. And he's like, mm, my years at Groundlings were crazier. <laughs> really? Groundlings is a crazy, it's an intense place. Yeah, because SNL is very intense yeah. as well. Yeah, so that gives you an indication of what Groundlings is like. Yeah. Um, it, he was delightful. I'm trying to think. Um I remember I improvised a line that people quote all the time of he can sure wear the shit out of that pirate hat. And um, I'm very proud of getting that mm-hmm. getting that improv in. <laughs> um, but it was just it was super fun. Um, I had known Adam Scott because actually I had done the pilot of Party Down. Oh, yeah. I just I just found out about that because they yeah. just had a reunion and they were talking yeah. about it. Oh, did um, they talk about yeah. it? Uh, so you, you originally were going to play um, Lizzie's role. Lizzie Kaplan's role. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, so I did play that in the pilot and mm-hmm. then the show didn't get picked up for a long time because yeah. we had shot it in Rob's house. Like it was just mm-hmm. independent. He paid for it. Um, and then when it got picked up, when they started shooting, I was going to be eight months pregnant or mm-hmm. something and then have my baby in the middle of whatever. So obviously they had to recast yeah. and then Lizzie did it. And then the show was fantastic. Was that tough to have to to give that up, or you kind of didn't know what it was? I at didn't the know time what it and was and what choice did I have. But yeah, right. at the time, I think I was like, okay. And then it turned out to be like such a great show, yeah. and like everyone watched it, everyone was hit. talking about yeah. it. And I was like, hmm. <laughs> oh, I like my kid though. <laughs> no. It, um, well, if you didn't have yeah. your kid, you wouldn't have. I'm sorry. So, which is really the most 100%, important thing. Hundred <laughs> percent. No. Um, yeah. I mean, it sucked a little bit, but yeah. Uh, I like all those people. I was happy mm. for all of them. And Lizzie's actually a really good friend of mine. Yeah, the first show that I felt like I was like really aware of you and and really into what you were doing was uh, episodes. <gasps> I love that which is show. A, a great show. Such that a I great think show. If very underrated. And hasn't and, watched it. Yeah. Do yourself a favor and watch episodes on, that was on Showtime from the beginning. Yeah. So um. So what was your what was your experience like on that show? Did you come into it? I not came at the into it. Right. No, I was only in the last two seasons. Yeah. Um. That was just a job I auditioned for. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anybody involved in it. And I play this power lesbian uh, television president. We shot in London. We shoot, they shot London for LA mm-hmm. for a show that takes place in LA. was shot in London. <laughs> Don't ask why. Makes no sense. Yeah. Um, so I got to live in London twice and bring my whole family, which was oh. amazing. And I was just such a fan of the show. I think it's the most well-written show. Yeah. The performances were amazing. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm a broken record of just like positivity, but I will say I've had just so many great. Yeah. I've, I've worked on some great <laughs> things. You really have. Um, I really, really have. And the ones that weren't so great never went. You know yeah. what I mean? Or just kind of disappeared. Yeah. I've definitely worked on things where I was like, oh, God, please don't yeah. let this happen. You never got stuck on something Mm-mm. for many seasons no. that you weren't happy at. No. I got, I've got. i been very lucky yeah. that way. Were there things that like you at the time kind of wished had gone, but now you look back and you're glad they didn't? That's a good question. Um, yeah. I mean, you're always disappointed when a pilot doesn't go because you get invested in mm-hmm. it. And I feel like every year I would do a pilot and... But none of them did I love so much. There was one sh- pilot that I did at Fox called Rebounding with Will Forte. And it was right before he did Last Man on mm-hmm. Earth. Um, and it tested like through the roof. But there was like another show at another network with Matthew Perry that was a little similar. And <laughs> they picked that up early. And so whatever. And it didn't go. And I was bummed about that because I really yeah. liked everybody. He seems like he'd be fun to work with every day. He's fantastic. He was, I knew from Groundlings. He yeah. was older than me, but I knew him and I thought he was fantastic. Hayes MacArthur was on it and some other great people. Um, that's one that I was bummed didn't go. But now, I mean, you know, you kind of just like get used to the yeah the process um but episodes i mean 
honestly. That was such an underrated show. Yeah. Such an underrated show. It's so good. Um, I feel like all the all the Friends fanatics now should be going watching episodes, right? They should, although it's a very, I know, but, very different But don't they just time. want more Matt LeBlanc in their I don't their think lives? they want that version of <laughs> Matt LeBlanc. I feel like that would, their heads would explode. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Um, so then you ended up on Veep. Yes. Which is another amazing show. Another amazing show as Laura Montez, the Presidente. It's kind of like going back to your Brazilian exchange student days. Thank you. (laughs) Is that what you were? That's what I was channeling. channeling. Um, That was, I mean, like dream come true. And that I auditioned for as well, but I didn't know. They didn't, they had fake sides. So Mm -hmm. I had no idea. I thought it was a senator I was auditioning for. Um, And I think... You know, I did some improv in there and Julia was there for my audition and Dave Vandal and Julie and I improvised and then they had me like improvise a speech. And I was like, well, that's weird. Why do I have to improvise a speech? Whatever. And um, I improvised a couple things that my husband was, you know, Hispanic and I was like whatever mm-hmm. and some things. And then I got it and I was, I mean, Julie Lou Dreyfus to me is pretty much everything yeah i mean what's what's it like when it when she's someone who you know we all look up to so much when you go into an audition and they say here improvise with julia louis dreyfus what's that like uh it's it is nerve-wracking but she's so like cool Mm -hmm. that you kind of dig you get over it fast like you're like oh okay that's good she's a normal person um and I didn't know what it was until we were mid table read. I found out like mm-hmm. as I was reading it because they didn't give us <laughs> the scripts ahead advance, of time because yeah. they, I think, really were finishing like finishing them. Yeah. And so I'm reading it, and reading it, and then suddenly it's like she becomes president, and it was like what? <laughs> and like an enemy inaugurated. I was like, what's happening? It was so excited, and I had yeah. to keep it a secret for so long. Yeah, and I know they were really secretive about the finale, the series finale yeah. too, which you were in. I was br- uh, briefly. I was briefly in. It's when I was doing post. And it was like a crazy day where it was like my second to last day of post. I had something due. I was leaving to go out of town. Like, and literally they were like, you have to come do this. And I think I was doing Jimmy Kimmel that day. Like mm-hmm. my first time being on Kimmel. It was like the worst possible day. Yeah. And I was like, all right. You need to get into like happen. heavy makeup. and yeah. yeah. They aged us up like 24 years or something. And then mine was aged in a way that looked like she'd had a lot of very bad plastic surgery, <laughs> which was delightful. Um, and I was so happy to be just any part of that last season. Yeah, that's such a great sequence, that last, the funeral part. <sighs> I think we can spoil sequence. it now. It's been long I, enough. I think it's been long enough, yeah. yeah. Um, I know, I, I feel like, again, like I feel like I keep repeating myself, but like dream come true mm-hmm. to work on that show. Yeah. Everyone on it's fantastic. And I obviously knew Matt Walsh before, but I mean, Tony Hale, I, I, everyone was delightful. Yeah. Um, and then I guess the last one that I wanted to touch on is uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, which you did an episode of, <laughs> I did. Uh, which I actually just rewatched today because oh. it was just for fun because it seemed like a, a fun up. thing to do. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> and you, so it's it's really a fun episode because and it, it, early in the episode, there's this great dinner scene where you kind of get mm-hmm. to be with everybody. I, I literally was just sitting there going, how is this my life? Yeah. And I was shooting Beep the same week. Oh, wow. Like I was in my writer's room. It was season one. And... I, so I was writing my own show, and then there was one day where I went to Curb in the morning, or no, I went to Veep in the morning, Curb in the afternoon, wow. and I was just like, <laughs> how is this my life? Like, how is this happening? That's amazing. But then I was like, you know what? I had a lot of years where this wasn't happening, <laughs> yeah. and so now I really appreciate it. That's good. Because I had, I know all the other years. Yeah. But it was like, oh my God, this is crazy. I mean, to work with Larry David was, I feel like Larry David and Julia Dreyfus are kind of the king and queen yeah absolutely yeah you throw um, will ferrell in there it's yeah like, there you go the trifecta um when i was watching it today i was mostly just trying to figure out how anyone was keeping it together with uh bob einstein oh um, my god drinking the water and he, the... <laughs> that i think was the only thing where people were laughing like where yeah. we all like really had to pull it together yeah you can like catch like some small mm-hmm. smirks in the mm-hmm. around the table it was so funny yeah it Oh God, that was really funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you have the scenes, multiple scenes in the mm-hmm. dressing room with with Larry David, with his like dick in my face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my God, oh. Larry. Oh, oh, I'm no. Oh no, that that, that that's not from you. That that's that's from Sophie Loren. Why was it in my face? Because it was an accident. It was an accidental erection. Like what? It was an accident. No, an accident is tripping on a step. <laughs> 
And then also the Titanic going down. Yeah, but just the way the Titanic w went down, this thing went up. It's the same. It's the same thing. They're both accidents. So you're saying your penis is like the Titanic? In a manner of speaking, yes. I think they're they're comparable. This is this is really unprofessional. I'm very uncomfortable oh, this right is now. Unprofessional. You think I'm comfortable when you're standing in the dressing room when I'm changing my pants? It's called a concierge service. I've never heard of that before in my life. I'd like you to leave, Larry. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. May, may I have my pants? Here. You know, I gotta say, the waist is a little big. Get out. I'll wear them with a belt. I'll put a belt on. How is he to work with? He was so also, I, I, again, I, I feel like people are going to think I'm lying. He was great. Mm. He was so gracious. You know, I feel like it was the kind of thing once he knew that you knew what you were doing, he could relax. And I know that feeling being mm. on my own set is you are nervous. He didn't know me. Other people uh, casting and some other people on the show knew me and he sort of knew of me. So, you know, when you cast someone like that on that kind of role, you're a little nervous and you can tell and there's no table read. There's no script. You know, it's all improv. Mm. And so um, I could tell like after literally like take one, he was like, OK. Now I can have fun. <laughs> this is you know work, what I mean? Yeah. Now this will, yeah, this will work. She's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, that's another improvised show. That's um, fully, yeah. Is there anything, I mean, thinking about, you know, working on episodes and Veep and Curb, are there things that you that you learned on those mm -hmm. experiences that you then um, took to, to I'm Sorry? Yeah, it's interesting because episodes and Curb are pretty much polar opposites. Episodes, you couldn't change mm. a letter. That was literally the classic, like you say, the instead of a, and there's a script supervisor that comes up to you. Yeah. It is word for word. And then Curb is fully improvised, Veep fully scripted, but then you get to do some mm. looser yeah. stuff. It's really the spectrum. Which, which is the spectrum. And my show, you know, between doing that and Step Brothers and Dog Bites Man, you know, and then other scripted stuff, I was like, I feel the most comfortable if I know the script is on the page. Mm -hmm. So you know that you've got the funny. And then you have the luxury to then just tweak it and make it better. And if it if funny stuff comes from it, great. And if it doesn't, it just disappears. And there's no pressure. Like, oh fuck, this yeah, isn't now, working. Yeah. If you're now only if you're have. only improvising and it doesn't work, then what do you? Yeah. You're stuck there. Honestly, you go over and you just go. You know. And also, there's the thing of you fall into traps where you'll work with people and and they're just trying to make the crew laugh, which is sort of fun. Mm. But doesn't translate. Yeah, you know, doesn't necessarily make the best mm -mm. TV. It's not the. It's also not the most efficient. Mm -hmm. it, it, you do end up wasting a lot of time that way. So I definitely learned things, and you know, I feel like watching the way Julia is on Veep and how she sets the tone from the top down of just a really wonderful, warm environment. That's everyone's working very hard, but there's a joy to it and a seriousness, but a kindness. Um, and I was like, that's the model, sort of how I want my show to feel. And, mm -hmm. you know, you definitely take the, the good stuff and the bad stuff yeah. and go like, OK, I'm going to do mine this way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so the way we end is mm -hmm. um, I'm going to ask, who is someone who you've worked with who made you laugh harder than anybody else? Um, could be on a set or just uh, or you know out on the road or, or who who's when when you think of the someone who who makes you laugh the hardest uh, that you've worked with what 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 comes to mind? I don't know if it's because it's top of mind, but I feel like on Dog Bites Man, eighty miles, and Zach Galifianakis, they I don't break often. Mm -hmm. uh, I would have a real hard time with Miles acting yeah. as Marty Shonson in front of people who didn't know what the fuck was happening. He would make me laugh literally to the point where I was like, I'm going to pee my pants. <laughs> like I'm going to cry. Like, like body things were happening mm. that weren't okay from laughing so fucking hard. Is there, is there a particular story or, or moment that, that you, that you're thinking of? Um, there were so many cause we were never allowed to laugh because people thought we were real people. Mm. So it was like that sort of you're in church and you can't mm -hmm. laugh kind of a thing. You have to hide it. You have yeah. to hide it. There were some like sexual harassment seminars and some like really serious things where he he would get so fake mad at people <laughs> and it and they would engage with him and mm -hmm. get mad back and he would just go after them. It 
God, I don't know what it was. There was something about his face that would make <laughs> me laugh. And then Zach would always start breaking. Yeah. And then I couldn't look at Zach because yeah. he would be laughing. And I was like, oh, God, watching him laugh at my, like, the combo. <laughs> I don't know. I know. I mean, I feel like Mansukis can get me really going. Yeah. Um, I feel like Paul Rudd, uh, he can just do a bit forever. Mm. And that delights me. Yeah. You can just go and it just, he won't stop. And it just <laughs> is super fun. Those are like, June Diane Raphael makes me laugh. God damn it. She yeah. really fucking, her face, her tone. Yeah. She really makes me laugh. She's also in the Curb episode. That's right. I know. Yeah. We were both in the same Curb episode <laughs> together, which was With, very exciting. Were you, I, you were in one scene together, I think, or no? Maybe. We were on set together. Yeah. I can't remember if we were on camera together. Yeah. I can't remember. <laughs> um I I I don't know. There's so many people who yeah. make me laugh, but those are just the ones that are jumping yeah. out at me right now. All right. Well, uh thank you so much for taking the time to come talk me. today. Thank you. We'll get you home. Get me home. Let's <laughs> do it. Thank you. Thank you again to Andrea Savage. She was right. She is a great podcast guest. The first two seasons of I'm Sorry are streaming now on Netflix, and the third will be out on True TV later this year. And you can subscribe to Andrea's podcast wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoy the show, please tell your friends and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And please follow at LastLaughPod on Instagram. The Last Laugh is distributed by Himalaya Media for The Daily Beast. It is produced by Jason Smith and Scott Porch for Starburns Audio and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, the Himalaya app, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week! <laughs> <laughs>